You are listening to an Elam Christian Center podcast. We hope that you are inspired, encouraged, and empowered by the message you are about to hear. We're just so glad to be a part of Elam Christian Center Whangarei. So thank you. Thank you for your grace in the season. Next week, things change again. Um, restrictions lift a little more. We get to have our two services together, everybody back together again. And we know that that's going to also come with some challenges as well because there are different thoughts and opinions and everything that's going around. I, just, I would just ask that we would have that, that grace uh, towards one another. I just think of what Paul, Paul said in Philippians, that we would consider others' needs greater than our own. Would we think that way in this next season uh, and just continue to open our doors and welcome people back in uh, so we can love and bless uh, people coming in this next season? that sound good? Awesome. Well, this morning we continue our series, The Journey to the Cross, and uh, we've, we've got the cross on stage because I, I just think it's so important that we consider not only the, the wonder of the cross, but also the horror of the cross. I think if we lose the horror of the cross, we, we can take our salvation for granted. And the Christian faith is centered around the work of the cross. I'm here today because of the finished work of the cross. There are many here today that would give a testimony, a story of God's grace through the cross of Jesus. As John Stott writes, the cross enforces three truths, the gravity of human sin, the wonder of God's love, and the completeness of God's redemptive work. When we look at the cross, when we look at human sin, we look at our inability to save ourselves, it is only then that we understand that salvation truly is a free gift. We can't, I can't, you can't add anything to the work of the cross. That's incredible. That is good news right there, that it is a complete work. You know, when Jesus said it is finished, it was a phrase that meant it has been and will forever remain finished, the finished work of the cross. That means that, yes, we still wrestle, we still struggle with sin. There are moments where we battle with the flesh and we even intentionally walk away from God. And yet the finished work of Christ is what holds us as we remain in him. Our prayer is that through the series, each one of us would end up falling deeper and deeper in love with Jesus. So I want to read a couple of passages here today, but uh, actually I've just noticed a couple of people in the crowd that I'd love to honor, Weston and Annette Finley. Now I know you guys don't want this, but these guys have been pastors in our movement, served on our national leadership team over many, many years. They have successfully handed the church over to their own kids, doing amazing work uh, down there in Thames. So I just want to honor you guys. So good to see you here. And also... We've got Neil and Neralee Clark, who are part of the original team at Botany with Pastor Luke and Marilyn. They're over here visiting as well. And I just want to honor you guys. They were there when we were children's pastors. Absolutely amazing pastors. So, uh, and if I've missed other pastors that are sitting in the room, that's, I'm glad you're here too. But I just saw some faces. So. <laughs> Let's read from Matthew chapter 26, verses 57. And uh, I want to read from Matthew and also in John. It says, those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance, right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any, though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two came forward and declared, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. We pick it up in John 18, verse 33. 
This time he's before Pilate. Pilate then went back inside into the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied, your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You're a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him, but is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover? Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. Let me pray as we open this passage of scripture today. Father, as we survey the wondrous cross, as we consider the horror, the pain, the torture that you experienced so that we would have freedom and life. God, I pray that today we would, we would grow deeper in our relationship with you, that we would receive your grace. Lord, for those that have yet to receive your grace or those that are struggling to receive your grace, may we realize that you did it for us, that your heart, your love for us is that we would surrender our lives to you and the work that you want to do in our hearts. Father, thank you for this amazing group of people. Lord, may you speak to each of our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. About four weeks ago, I had the honor of being chosen for jury duty. How many people have been on jury duty before? Now, over my working career, I'd probably been summoned maybe three, four times and, but there were significant moments that were happening in my work, and uh, I wasn't able to actually participate in jury service. So when I got this opportunity, I, I, I was actually quite excited. It's like, yeah, I finally get to do this after not being able to do it ever. And so uh, it was, it was kind of, you know, three weeks ago, everything was pretty high on high alert with COVID, and so it was quite a sterile environment. Right? We kind of arrived in there and we screened in and temperature checked to check that we're okay and we, we weren't, weren't you know, carrying COVID or anything like that. Got into the room, this big holding room, and there were about 80, 90 people sitting there. We're all spaced out. We all had our, you know, a meter apart and we had our masks on. And because it was kind of jury service, we're thinking, well, we better not collude with anybody. So no one's talking to anybody. It's kind of quite, it was quite an unreal experience. And so we sat there, and they started to give us all the instructions, and the guy was so softly spoken, and he had a mask on the whole time. We were just nodding our heads going, I'm sure whatever you're saying is correct. No one dared to ask. We had no idea what you said. I was sitting in the back of the room. I couldn't hear a word he said. I just nodded my head in agreement. He could have been asking us anything. And so anyway, we're we're in the middle of this, and the computers break down. So we sit there for three hours waiting for the first people to be called. So the process, if you haven't been there, is they, they, they begin to call people's names, they go into the courtroom, and if they are chosen to be a part of the jury, they'll stay in the courtroom. We're told if you are not chosen to be a part of the jury, you then come back into this room again um, to await further instruction. And so, so finally, after three hours, we, uh, we, we managed to you know, hear some names being called, and so nine people went in. So up they went, took their gear, and then they went, and, and they didn't come back. It's like, well, clearly they've made it onto the jury. So I'm number 10. So my name's called. I'm like, all right, here we go. Ready to do my part to serve this great nation of ours. 
I walk into the, the courtroom, take two steps inside the door, and I hear the words, challenge. I'm like, how rude. I, I, I mean, and they said, if you hear the word challenge, you've got to just turn around and go back. So I turned around. I did my walk of shame back into the room. I'm the first and only person that's been challenged so far. And I felt those judging eyes as I walked right to the back corner of the room again. And every part of me wanted to go, I'm a good person. It wasn't me. I didn't do it. Now, I know there's a whole lot of reasons why people get challenged. Maybe they already had somebody who looked and felt a little bit like me. Maybe they needed a balance of male, female, age, different, yeah, different reasons. But I felt like I was the one on trial. And I kind of walked out of the air going, oh, wow. How did it feel? to be kind of judged for something that I didn't do. And that's nothing compared to what Jesus experienced. Jesus faced a trial, a mock court. I mean, there was was nothing that they could hold him to. And yet Jesus, he resisted the urge to give all the reasons why he shouldn't be arrested. His his words were were so few, just, just chosen perfectly. But he knew the process. He knew what needed to take place for the sake of all humanity. So he endured all of this for us. And today I want us to go away with one thought. If this could stick in our hearts, if we could own this in our own relationship with God, if we could truly understand that Jesus is the innocent man bearing the image of the condemned man. Come on, I am the condemned man that Jesus took the punishment for me. Maybe that's your story. Maybe that's your testimony here today as well. See, condemnation is a legal term. It refers to the sentence or judgment which hangs over us in sin. See, condemnation says that we are guilty and therefore deserve to be punished. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, which means that I deserve to die for my sin But there's a gift that's been extended to me through grace, through Jesus, which allows me to walk free and walk out of that courtroom, not condemned. See, we feel condemnation. That feeling that I am guilty and therefore deserving of punishment. Anyone felt condemned before in their life? And we feel it as shame. Shame says I am wrong, and if I'm exposed, I will naturally be rejected. Isn't that our fear, is that we will be exposed and therefore rejected? And this is why shame always results in hiding. See, Adam and Eve, and it goes right back to the garden, Adam and Eve. They, they ate from the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God, God had to give them choice. He said, all of this is yours. This, this whole planet is yours to care for. Work with me as we build, as we steward this together. But of these two trees, you can't eat. Because if you eat of it, you'll surely die. And so they, they ate from the fruit because it looked good. It looked good. They took a bite. They agreed to disobey God. And then there's this moment where they are supposed to be walking in the garden like they always do in the cool of the evening. They walk, they survey, they see what they've been doing all day. Walking with God in relationship. And they, they hear God coming. They hide. So God asks this really interesting question, where are you? like he didn't know where they were. 
This is the omnipresent God, the God who is everywhere. He, he, he knew where they were, but he was giving them a chance to come clean. He was giving them a chance to expose the condemnation and the shame they were feeling. Oh, we were naked and so we hid. They were exposed and they, they, they could feel this condemnation within them, sin within them. How do we do that in our lives? Well, we, we hide, don't we? We hide in our shame. We hide in our condemnation. We hide behind social media profiles. We constructed false realities. Hide behind fake personas and facades. We hide behind busyness. Sorry, can't confront this thing right now. I'm way too busy to deal with it. Another time. We hide behind our jobs. We hide behind responsibilities. We even hide behind our spouse and our children. We hide through isolation. This has been a season of isolation that, that has, has been a massive challenge for us. We've got somebody here today that, that works in the area of mental health. She was saying that it's a challenge right now, a big challenge in our society. Most people are struggling with some form of anxiety, fear, apprehension. And all hiding is the result of shame. See, condemnation inflicts both penalty and pain. The penalty of my sin is death. The pain that I'm ashamed of, the pain is that I am ashamed of myself. At Jesus' trial, we see that he bears both. Jesus bears both the penalty of our sin, which was his death, and the pain of our sin, the shame of hanging on a cross. Even though he's innocent, he's publicly pronounced as wrong, publicly rejected by the crowds which yell, crucify him, crucify him. And by this, Jesus removed our penalty and the stain of our condemnation. Even though Barnabas is clearly guilty, Jesus is the one that is condemned. Jesus, the innocent man, bearing the image of the condemned man. What's fascinating about the story is even though Jesus was right, he endured the scorn, the shame, because he understood he stood on the right side of truth. As a teenager, um, I was, had the privilege of being head boy at Whangarei Boys High. And uh, one, one day during summer, I get pretty bad hay fever at different times, and my hay fever was just playing up. And so I had this you know, puffy eyes and just red. And so I excused myself, went to the bathroom, washed my eyes out, came back to class, and by lunchtime, there was a rumor out there that the head boy was doing drugs. Um, got back to me. I'm like, wow, <laughs> interesting that. And so that rumor kind of spread around the school, but it didn't last very long because I suppose I was on the side of truth, and no one really believed that that was actually what was happening. But, but what happens when, when actually we do get condemned for something that we know is not true? How, how do we process that? Well, Jesus experienced that, didn't he? That's what he went through in order to, to see the freedom that we would have and experience. So let's talk about truth because in this passage, we read one of Pilate's most famous statements where Jesus talking about truth. Pilate responds, what is truth? Was it a genuine question? Was it scorn? Was it, I, I believe that Pilate was genuinely asking, what is truth? In other words, what definition of truth will you live by or govern your life by? Now, it doesn't take long to find someone who has a different understanding of truth to you, right? We have people in this room that may believe the, the earth is a sphere, while others may believe the earth is flat. 
We've got some people in this room that maybe um, you believe there was a moon landing. Maybe there wasn't. There are also some people here that believe that pineapple belongs on a pizza. And I'm one of them. How can we be friends after this? <laughs> but you know, I'm more concerned than ever about the spirit of age, spirit of this age that's creeping into our kids. That, 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 that language that says, oh, you just got to go with your feelings because what you feel is what matters and your feelings become the truth and become the reality. You know, we have even in our schools, you know, and, and here in New Zealand, People say, well, I know you're a boy, but what, what, if, what if you've got feelings like you might be a girl? Putting questions in, in, into the hearts of our kids. You know, when we wrote our book series, Little Leaders, Big Lives, it was all about claiming the identity and purpose of our kids, bringing biblical truth through the form of a parable into the hearts of our children so that they would grow up loving the skin they're in, like truly knowing who they are and loving who they are knowing their identity, that no one can shake that even when the, the, the trials of life come, something inside of our kids says, I know who I am. As we're singing that song, I know who I am. I am who you say I am. That truth about who we are. And the enemy's favorite way to attract, attack truth is to subtly change the truth, right? You got Adam and Eve to question the goodness of God. God's holding out on you. Really? Is he? This is the God that created them, had relationship with them, and yet they were still able to be convinced with just a slight twist of the truth that God was holding out on them. What we see in today's society is the perversion of God's truth and God's ways, and it's becoming less and less subtle, right? The Bible, once honored, revered, even by non-Christians, those that don't follow God would go, okay, if the Bible says that, then that's, that's, that makes sense. Now it's, it's outdated, it's bigoted, it's irrelevant for our society. And apparently the Bible doesn't really give us enough wiggle room for our individual truth to be realized. And the Bible is confronting truth, it's confronting. And here's the problem with my truth and your truth. At points of time they clash, right? See, what if my truth is that I'll do whatever I like because it pleases me, including, including taking whatever I like, you have something I like, I will have it. I'll just take it. You annoy me, I'll hurt you. What if that's my truth? What if, what if I, that's how I want to live my life? Because that's my truth, that's my reality. You can have yours, but I'm going to live mine. What if you cut me off on the motorway and cause me to have to break? What will I do? A few, few little laughs there, a little nervous laughter. My truth says you deserve to pay, so I will chase you down. I will track you right to the head. <laughs> Some say, well, you have your truth and I have mine, because after all, there is no absolute truth, right? <laughs> Which is an absolute statement in itself, isn't it? The hypocrisy of that. There is no absolute truth. Well, you've just said there is no absolute truth, which is an absolute statement. See, even, it doesn't even make sense when we try to make sense of it. But imagine if there was a moral truth that governed all of humanity and at its core was the heart of every human being. How amazing would that be? Fair and just for all. Imagine if those moral laws were used to govern a nation, 
a roadmap for development of civilizations. Imagine if we had a single moral law, and a truth that we could all follow that was equal for everybody. Well, we have that. But we don't trust that truth. So much so that the name of the one who created that truth, who is that truth, is taken out of our parliament. We wonder why we're struggling as a nation right now. Because we don't believe the truth. We don't live by the truth. That's why Jesus hung on the cross. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That was the declaration as he lived his life as the truth. His trial, his sentence, his judgment, condemnation was a mockery of the truth that Jesus lived and died for. And we see that he was tried four times. Firstly, he was tried in front of the Jewish religious leaders. He was then tried in front of Pilate. He was then tried in front of Herod. And then back again in front of Pilate as Pilate kind of handed him over and then had to make that final judgment. And in all these trials, the odds were stacked against Jesus. Lies, deception. And yet he still stood and received the condemnation. Why? He took on that form of the innocent. The innocent man bearing the image of the condemned man. What's interesting is the very thing that Jesus was avoiding in earthly ministry was the very thing that he was accused of, being a political king. Isn't it fascinating that even Pilate recognized that? See, Pilate says um, that the, in Matthew 27, 18, Pilate observes it is self-interest and envy which makes the Jewish leaders hand Jesus over. And there's no reason to question Pilate's assessment. He was an astute judge of character. The fact that Matthew records it clearly seems to endorse that assessment. He, he kind of worked out what was happening. And even Pilate didn't really want to condemn Jesus. He, he tried to find loopholes even to the point where he said, you know what, how about Barabbas? Let's, let's kill him instead of Jesus because we, I don't really think that Jesus has done anything wrong. And yet he was also a people pleaser. And in the end, he succumbed to the, the popularity vote of a crying crowd. See, the problem with living a lie is it catches up on us. Anyone as a child or maybe as an adult, you told a lie. And then in order to endorse that lie or make sure that the lie held its, held its way up, you had to tell another lie. And then you have to tell another lie. And then you can't remember which lie you told. And so you're finding yourself trying to keep up with the lies you've told. You know, some people say it's hard to live by the truth. I, I, would, I would suggest that it's harder to live by lies. Because at least with the truth, there's no question as to whether you did it or not. Right? As a child, I knew when I was wrong. There was a moral law inside of me that I understood to be right or wrong, and I knew when I had broken that. Prior to his crucifixion, Jesus invited the Jews to follow him and walk in this truth. We read this in John 8, 31 to 32. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus knew he stood on the side of truth, and yet he still went to the cross. Jesus could have given a sound argument for his release. He could have undone them. We know he just, he talked people out of their, their thoughts. I mean, he, he questioned and he challenged leading up to it. Every, every statement that people had with Jesus, he just asked a question that exposed the lies, the, 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 the motive of their heart. But in this moment, Jesus didn't do that. 
He took it on himself. He was condemned. He took the innocent man condemned on our place, in our place. The team can come now. You know, people who live in a constant place of deception, they live with no peace. That's just why we love small groups. Because small groups have, a, have an amazing way of allowing us to have the darkness exposed in a safe place. Throughout my years of, of being a Christian, I've been involved. The, some of the most significant moments haven't even been in church services as much as they've been in somebody's home as we've opened the Bible together, as the truth has been revealed, as we've confessed our sins to one another, as we've, we've prayed for one another. Even just the last couple of years, even in lockdown and isolation, there have been some Zoom sessions that have been phenomenal where God has just, just done an incredible work in people's lives as truth is revealed, lies and darkness is exposed. You know, and as we close today, I believe some of us just need to come clean with somebody. We need to find a friend. Say, so this, this thing going on in my life, there's this, this issue that I can't deal with. This, I'm trying to wrestle with this on my own, but I, I, I just need to tell somebody. Ask them to pray for you. you know, the Bible tells us if we confess our sins to one another, if we pray for one another, we will receive a healing. You want, to, you want to be healed from that thing that is devastating you, that continues to grab you, those chains that torment you? Just a confession to somebody else that says, I want to be free. Because if we're in Christ, we can understand that Jesus was the innocent man who took on the form of the condemned man, you, me. He died innocent so that we could have life. That's the good news. That's the good news for every human being. What if I'm not good enough? That's okay. You qualify. It's all of us. The Bible says there's not one righteous, not a single one. We're all guilty. All guilty is charged. And that grace is extended to every single human being. What's the requirement from us? We surrender. We lay our lives down. We lay, lay our will. The control that we want to have in our own life, we lay that down and we say, Jesus, I now surrender to you. And in a moment, we're going to pray a prayer, inviting Christ to forgive us, to, to acknowledge the sacrifice that he made for us so that we would have eternal life. Who can pray that prayer? Anybody who has a desire to turn from sin and receive him as Lord and Savior. That's the qualification, a heart that says, yes, I surrender. And for some of us today, we just need to surrender, maybe for the very first time, maybe. Maybe it's coming back, saying, God, I've walked away, but today I'm coming home. I don't want to live this lie anymore, this deception. I want to walk in the truth again today challenge for us all was am I living in the forgiveness Jesus died to give me do we know that we're being forgiven are we truly living in it how do we know if we're living in forgiveness Jesus gives us a couple of pointers those who are forgiven much love much when you've been forgiven a great debt you release others from their debt 
I want to be the merciful servant, not the unmerciful servant. I want to be the one that says, my debt was forgiven, so I release you of that debt that maybe you owe me. No keeping score, but forgiving and loving others. Of the woman who extravagantly showed her worship to Jesus, pouring out the, the nard, the, the perfume, forgiven much. So she poured that out on Jesus. The second thing we see is our forgiveness of one another. Do we have the ability to forgive others? I shared last week about a deep betrayal that I experienced. And my inability, I was stuck in my offense. I was stuck and I could not budge. And in tears, over a period of a week, I released that judgment and condemnation I'd spoken over this other person. And it's only in that place through Christ I was able to forgive and that burden was lifted and that that pain that I was feeling was lifted if we're struggling to receive forgiveness we need to return to the truth of Jesus Jesus said you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free well Jesus said I am the way the truth and the life so I would say to you today and I want to pray you will know Jesus the truth And Jesus will set you free. That is the promise of the cross. Come with every head bowed, every eye closed. I want to pray this prayer for those for the very first time saying, I surrender my life to you, Jesus. For those recognizing that it's been a long time since you've walked in relationship with God because of the sin. Doing life your own way. But today you're saying, I commit my life to Christ again today get back on the road, a journey to the cross. Would you pray with me today? Heavenly Father, thank you for your love for me. Thank you, Jesus, you died on the cross so that my debt could be paid for. I turn from my old way of living. I choose to follow you, surrender my life to you. I ask you to be Lord. And I'm so thankful you are my Savior. I receive your gift of grace today. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer today, I'd love you to do one last thing. We want to help you take your next step with Him. Whether that's getting a Bible in your hands, whether that's helping you join a small group, get connected in. What is your next step? We want to know who you are so we can help you with that and celebrate with you. If you prayed that prayer, I'm going to count to three, and on the count of three, would you just stick your hand up in the air so I can see it, and you can pop it back down again. One of our team will spot your hand and connect with you after the service. But we want to celebrate this decision you've made today. This is why we do church. This is why we come together on a Sunday. So if that's you, if you prayed that prayer for the first time or coming back to God, you put your hand up on the count of three. One, God loves you. Two, He's got a plan and a purpose for your life. Three, why don't you raise it up high now so I can see Anyone across this building here today? Father, thank you. Thank you for the work you're doing in our hearts. And Lord, maybe hands weren't raised, but hearts responded. God, I pray that we would tell somebody, we connect with somebody, we take that next step in following you. Thank you, Jesus, that you were the innocent man 
that bore the image of the condemned man. Thank you, Jesus, for your salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Amos. Thank you for listening to this Elam Christian Center podcast. Please subscribe to keep hearing more life-changing messages. For more information about our church, please visit www.elamchristiancenter.org.nz.